Now, our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of James as we conclude the book. Chapter 5, beginning verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this great day today, a day that we can come and rejoice and worship you and, and uh, sing praises. And Lord, now as we look into your word, I just pray that your word will speak to us. And Lord, whatever is going on in our lives, we just uh, give it to you today. And we just pray for those who are unable to be here with uh, illness or traveling or whatever the case might be that you'll be with them. We also uh, just want to thank, uh, thank you, Lord, for Kevin's successful surgery and just pray that he makes a, a quick recovery. And so, Lord, again, we just give you this time and we give you our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we look at uh, this passage of Scripture and... Verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The word prayer is used at least seven times just in this little passage. And that's what it's all about. It's all about prayer. There's tremendous power in praying. Prayer, I think, is probably the greatest privilege that we have as Christians. Because when you think about it, we're able to talk to God. It also becomes one of the greatest powers in the Christian life. What prayer can do is what God can do. And anything that God can do can be done through prayer. Jesus said, all things that I do, you'll do also even greater works. But it's all by prayer. Anything you ask, you pray for, it's really our responsibility. We pray in, in, in the will of God. But if you think about your own prayer life, each one of us here, prayer probably is probably one of the greatest failures of our lives. I mean, if I were to take a poll, which I'm not going to, probably the majority of us are not satisfied with our prayer life. We feel that there's more. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. But we're going to talk about when should I pray, what kind of person can pray, and then we're going to end it with how can I pray more effectively. So that's kind of where we're headed. So if we look at when, when I can pray, James in this passage mentions that there's three specific times when I really need to pray. The first one is when I'm hurting emotionally. I mean, look at this. Look at verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. 
Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So you can pray about your problems. You can pray about your financial conditions. Anything that's creating stress in your life, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. But it's interesting, it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. But then if you notice that last part of that verse, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, how many of you feel happy today? How many feel sad? How many are still awake? Okay, most of you. Have you noticed that life is a series of altercations between you're either really high or you're really low? It seems like our life we live, it's either feast or famine. We, we, we sometimes things, we have our problems and they go all the way to, I don't have any problems necessarily today, so I'm joyful. The Bible says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. But recognize that there's going to be times in your life when you're really down. And when you're really down, you should pray. But there's times when you're really happy. When you're happy, you should pray. A lot of people think you should just live life to the, to the hill. Have you ever met anybody that's afraid that if they really enjoy what God is doing in their life, then somehow God's going to zap them so that they become a bummer? They think, oh, that's too good. That might not be a good thing. So they're afraid to pray because things are going good, and maybe they're even afraid to rejoice. I'm going to tell you, tell you something here. I think it's a lot of fun to be in church. I enjoy this day. How about you guys? A few smiles. It's a joy to be, to be in God's house. It's a joy greeting times, just great time. The singing, good. Just seeing everybody, seeing Donna right there, almost in the front row, impressed. I think the Bible says this. Actually, I know the Bible says this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Do you notice that? I was glad. It doesn't say, I was sad that I went into the Lord's house. I was mad that I came into the Lord's house. It doesn't say, I was really bummed that I came to church today. It says, so when you're happy, you're supposed to sing. So James says that it's valid to be happy and sing. It's, it, we can be joyful. Praise, the word praise is used 550 times in the Bible. But it's kind of the lifestyle of the Christian is we're, we're supposed to live a life of joy. But when I'm hurting emotionally, I should pray. It also says when I'm hurting physically, if you look at verses 14 and 15, it says I ought to pray. Is anyone among you of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. 
The word sick in the Greek, it literally means without strength. You're totally fatigued. You're bedridden. You're unable to do about anything. It's the same word that was used in describing Lazarus. And you know what happened to Lazarus. He died. He was was pretty sick. So when you're beyond the help of a doctor, you pray. Even when you're in the doctor's help, you probably ought to pray. But it says the elders of the church. You ask for the elders of the church to come and pray over you and anoint them with oil. So James says we have these spiritual leaders that you can call and they'll come and pray for you. Now, They're not professional doctors. They're spiritual leaders. And if you think about Scripture, you've got to think about Jesus, right? If anybody had the right to hold mass meetings, it would have been Jesus. He could have. He had lots of large crowds. But when you think about healing, healing seemed to be a private matter. And in this passage of James here, especially these verses 14 and 15, who's doing the calling? It's the sick person. The sick person is calling for the the elders to come. It's a house call. So when you're sick and you can't get out of bed, you call the spiritual leaders to come to your house and you ask them to pray for you. That's what James is saying. There's power in prayer. It also implies you need to have a local church to belong to. It's hard to call for the leaders of the church if you aren't in the church. Every Christian, I, I believe every Christian needs to identify themselves with a particular body of believers. And why? Well, one good reason is when you're sick, you know who you can call on. And it's great when people call in prayer requests and we get the whole church praying for them. It's a great thing. But if nobody knows about it, how are they, they going to help? So the word sick in this passage is talking about a life-threatening illness. Call for the elders of the church to pray for, over them. So the guy's probably in bed. They're praying over him. He's seriously ill. And it says they'll anoint him with oil, which is kind of a... There, there's a couple of aspects to it. it. It represents the Holy Spirit's work. But in those times, they actually used oil sometimes for healing purposes. But it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to realize that God is the healer. Nobody else. Nobody else can do it. Only God can heal. The name represents the character of the Lord. All healing is based upon God's character. So the results of, it says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, we don't have big healing campaigns. But we do try to do what the Bible says. And there have been times when people call and would ask us to come over and pray for them. And it's a good thing to do. In a sense, what we have to do when we pray, we are humbly accepting the will of the Lord. 
but we want to do it according to Scripture. So the Bible says that when I'm hurting emotionally, I need to pray. It says when I'm hurting physically, I got this major illness, it says I need to call on the spiritual leaders of the church to, to pray for me. And then in a third place it says, is when I am hurting spiritually. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, in Jesus' day, I guess in many places today, sad to say, they had this belief that if you had an illness, somehow you had sin in your life. And if you confessed and you were still sick, then somehow you still had sin in your life. That's what, that's what they believed. Jesus blew that idea out of the water. In John chapter 9, when he said to the man who had been born blind, he told him that nobody had sinned. And so it's a kind of an unfair concept to think that if something's wrong with you, it's sin in your life. That, that's not a biblical concept. Now, if you don't take care of your body and you don't eat right, and you don't sleep right, you don't exercise, and you don't do all that thing, you, you're probably going to get sick, I would imagine, because we're supposed to take care of our, our bodies. If we don't listen to God's Word where it says don't be anxious about anything, so you knew I had to bring the worry thing in somewhere, right? If you worry and you fret and you get anxious, you end up with an ulcer and all this stuff, if you allow resentment to build up in your life. Because doctors say maybe it's not so much what you eat, but what's eating you sometimes causes problems. Resentment can take a really big toll in your life. Makes a big difference. But it says in this passage, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed What's the condition for healing? Well, here, for a spiritual problem, it's confession. Confessing our sins. Now, that's a tough thing to do. We'd rather camouflage them or hide them. But if you confess your sins to God, it says He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And He says He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You feel free. You realize you've been forgiven. Not just with the Lord, with the people around you. So if you want a one line that you can remember today, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. So we go, oh, no. <laughs> revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. There's a verse in Job that says, a man needs of his friend most when he's doubting God. In a sense, what it's saying is he needs somebody to stand and walk, through, walk him through the time of doubt so that we can regain our faith. So James says we should pray whenever you got a need, whether it's a physical need, an emotional need, a material need, a spiritual need, no matter what it is, you need to pray. And then he kind of goes on to who, who can pray. Because some people think that in order to really pray right, you have to be a, a spiritual giant. 
Because then you can pray and you get the right kind of answers. Many people feel really inferior when it comes to prayer life. And this is where James uses the illustration of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, he did this after the big God contest at Mount Carmel. Elijah runs to the other side of the desert. He's just seen this great victory take place with prayer. He runs to the other side. He goes through this fit of depression. And he prays, God, just kill me. I'm just so depressed, just take my life. Don't need this anymore. What's interesting about it is, Elijah wasn't afraid of the 400 prophets of Baal that had just been defeated. But he's running from a woman named Jezebel. Which, maybe that's more than 400, I don't know. But in this passage, in the first 10 verses, Elijah demonstrates fear. He demonstrates resentment and guilt and anger and loneliness and worry. He has all of this stuff going on. Supposedly, he's this great prophet, spiritual giant, and he's feeling all of this stuff. That's why it says, Elijah was a man just like us. Now, I don't know about you. You probably don't ever have anger or fear or resentment or worry or loneliness or any of those kinds of things. I tend to have those things. But the lesson of Elijah's life is you don't have to be perfect to pray. You don't have to be perfect to see answers to your prayers. Prayer is for all of us. It's for ordinary people. So in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah gets alone with God and he ends up humbling himself, praying for rain. And it says he prayed seven times. He was very persistent. He would not give up. And one day a little cloud formed in the sky. And he says it's going to be a gusher. The rains came and flooded the, flooded the place. But God does amazing things through ordinary people when the people pray. So to close this all off, how can we be effective prayers? So I want to, I want to review four conditions for praying effectively for James, that James mentions in this book. I just said we we're about done to see if those guys would get up. No, I'm just How we can pray effectively, first of all, I must ask. You do not have because you do not ask God. A lot of times we say thank you. We will say and bless and do this for me and, and that's it. We never pray specifically. The more specific your prayers are, the greater you're going to be blessed in the answer. James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask. So be specific in your prayer when you're asking. The second thing is you've got to have the right motive. 
It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So if you're going to ask God in prayer, make sure that your motives are right. Not selfishness. Be genuine. Pray for the glory of God. The third thing is, have a clean life. It says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Righteous. We're not talking about perfection. What we're talking about is righteousness. Righteousness is your standing before God when you became a believer. It has nothing to do with your perfection. If God only answered the prayers of perfect people, you know how many prayers would be answered? <laughs> Zero. Or another way of saying it would be none. And then James gives one more thing to pray effectively. He says, ask in faith. Expect an answer. James 1.6 says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. So when you come to God, believe that he wants to answer your prayer. Trust him. Don't doubt. Really believe. So the question I want to leave with with each one of us today, how important is your prayer life? How important is your prayer life? What I would love the community to see when they look at Kersey Community Church and all of the beautiful people that we have here, because you know you guys really are beautiful, Right? Okay. That went well. <laughs> All right, there we go. I want people to look at our church and say this. Only God could have done this. Only God could have done this. And, and whatever ministry we're doing, we're out in the community Wherever it might be, even in the, even in the building program or, or whatever it might be, we want people to say only God could do that. Because that's the best thing that could ever happen to each one of us in our lives individually to say only God could have done that. But as a group of believers, we believe that as well. Only God could have done that. So how effective is your prayer life? It's up to you. God's always there. and He's there to answer each prayer. Answer it according to His will. But I trust that all of us can have a, a little more effective prayer life and to realize that every detail of our life is important to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we just really humble ourselves before You and a lot of times we get so caught up into this how we're supposed to pray and, and what we're supposed to pray for and, and You just want us. You just want our hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that each one of us, first of all, knows you in a personal way, that we've given our heart and life to you. And, Lord, that we've realized you've forgiven us of our sins. And, Lord, I just pray that no matter what's going on in our lives, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, that we're in tune with you 
in all those different emotions that we face, the joys and the downtimes. And so, Lord, we just give our lives to you and realize that you're doing a work within each one of us. And I just pray that we can be the people that you've called us to be. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.